It's the moment you've all been waiting for. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. And thank you so much for tuning in. We're back to the series, uh, speaking to thought leaders and think tanks in the country, just to get the lay of the land from their perspective. You know, where are we as a country? What's currently happening in South Africa? And what are your views on it? And we did indicate that as our listeners, we'd love to hear your views as well. So at some point, we will call for those submissions because, as you know, we put them on our website. It's safm.co.za. You can go and read uh, um, a 600-page article, a 600-word article, rather, and uh, that informs the discussion that we have. And this morning, we continue with um, political economist Muleti Mbeki. Thank you so much for coming through. It's great to be here, Sakina. So, when we talk about uh, the current South African political landscape, you say it's important that we take a moment to ponder on what happened during that transition to democracy. Who were the players and what role each one played and how that has manifested in what we see today. So just for the benefit of those who did not have opportunity to go to the website, if you can just take us through your thoughts very briefly. Yes, uh, it's very, very important to understand who lost power in April 19. 19- Uh, 94, and who gained power. Because if you don't understand that, then you get misled and you get confused and you don't know where you're going and you panic, which is what many people are doing. They are panicking. And then you find scapegoats, which is, again, uh, what many people are being uh, led to believe, that there are all sorts of scapegoats that are causing uh, South Africa's problems. What happened in, in, in uh, April 1994 was that the Afrikaner nationalists lost power. They didn't lose their vote, but they lost power as a formation. And now who were the Afrikaner nationalists? The Afrikaner nationalists were first and foremost the owners of land, uh, especially the general at the top end of Afrikaner society, if you remember the Boer War General, the Anglo-Boer War Generals. They were huge landowners, especially in the Free State uh, and and in the in the Transvaal. Now, they produced the maize that most of us in South Africa eat. So they were a very strategic group. And they kept their farms, but they lost political power. They were in, a, in alliance with the mining industry. And the way in which this alliance worked was that the Afrikaner nationalists delivered cheap black labor to the mines. So that's what was the backbone of that partnership. They also delivered cheap black labor to the sugar estate. So when you look at South Africa, there, there are two key things that drive South Africa. The food production, which is in our case sugar and maize, and the mining industry, gold, and and then the other minerals. So that's who co- constituted that coalition with of of African nationalists. Now, who gained power afterwards, which is now our situation today? If we look at who gained power in in, in uh, April 1994, we we all tend to think, oh, Mandela gained power; he became president. Well. Actually, if you look at the social 
movement that gained power. It was the black middle class. South Africa has had an old black middle class, uh, which many people don't understand. Our first black middle class, modern black middle class, came after the abolition of slavery in 1834. There were groups of artisans who were slaves, and they became independent business people. So that's your first black middle class. And then you have a second black middle class which came out of the Eastern Cape and Natal in particular, who in the middle of the 19th century owned land and uh, schools were established for them like Adams College, Lovedale, Hilltown, and so on and so forth. So that was, And then with the Indians, the arrival of the Indians, another group of middle class came into South. So what the people who took power in uh, April the 27th were this coalition of this middle class that I'm listing, plus organized labor, plus civil society. That was the coalition. that. Now, what is unique about this coalition compared to the, uh, the African and nationalist coalition is that most of them did not own property. So what was of strategic importance now to this new uh, black nationalist leadership was control of state revenues because now they use state revenues to advance their interests, which is why state revenues are so contested in South Africa because the rulers of South Africa don't own assets unlike the previous rulers who were the Africana nationalists and their industrial and mineral allies. The new rulers don't own any property, so they live off state revenues. So what we are seeing today is a fight amongst them for a bigger slice for this group and a bigger slice for that group of state revenues. ESCOM is a typical illustration of this contest amongst the black nationalists for who gets what big slice of of ESCOM's revenues. So for the ordinary South African, what did they gain in 1994? The ordinary South African in 1994 gained economic, social, and political rights. They gained freedom. This is what we call democracy. So they gained the vote. What economic rights did they gain? The, The ability to set up enterprises. Remember, during the apartheid era, black people could not set up independent companies. They couldn't practice there was uh, many, they couldn't train as plumbers, they couldn't train, uh, acquire many professions because of job reservation. After 1994, you can do whatever you are capable of doing. So you got the freedom to practice whatever trade you wanted to practice or you were capable of practicing. And above all, it removed the police state. South Africa was a police state until the 27th of April 1994. And this police state terrorized uh, the great majority of the people of South Africa. In 1994, this police state was dismantled or was removed anyway. So we don't have a police state in South Africa, which is why it is correct to say South Africa 
is a democracy. So that's what the majority of the people gained. I'm sure uh, many will, uh, you know, basically take issue with the fact that uh, the majority of South Africans gained, um, you know, economic um, liberation, fortitude of any kind. Uh, Because if you think of the middle class in South Africa, who is the middle class? It cannot be. Whoever came up with this notion that someone who earns 6,000 rand or more is middle class, you know, that is something that we need to interrogate as a nation. Well, that's not what the middle class is. Uh, I've had discussions with the statistician general, and he described the middle class as people earning, let's say, 12,000 rands, between 12,000 rands and 60,000 thousand rents a month. These were his figures that he gave me. His figures, uh, uh, this was uh, 2014, but I'm sure they haven't changed much. That's what he described as the middle class. And people in that income bracket, a big part of them is black. In fact, the blacks are the majority in that category of, of South Africa. Which is which is very interesting, and I don't want to hog this, but I'm sure you will be engaged on it uh, as we move along. But you also spoke about um, the the the, the uh, trying to understand South Africa in another way by looking at what happened in China. Talk to us about that. Well, China is a very good example for South Africa because we got our huge political changes in South Africa as the say at the same time as China undertook huge economic changes. You know, there's the talk now of radical economic transformation. Well, the Chinese did that from 1978 onwards. That's what the Chinese uh, undertook, this radical economic transformation of China. They called that uh, the four modernization. So they said China had fallen behind the world in terms of its science and technology, its industries were backward, its agriculture was backward, and its army was backward. So they said we must modernize these four, these four things about China. So they changed their agricultural system. They gave more freedom to the farmer to decide what the farmer grew. Before then, they had these uh, communes where the state decided. They also allowed the farmer to sell in the open market. So the farmers got richer and richer in China because of this. They then uh, modernized their, their manufacturing industries. And today, as we know, China has a massive industrial power. It is the second largest economy in the, wor- in the world. And then they improved their science and technology, which we are not doing yet. They sent on, on every year, there are 400,000 Chinese students in the United States alone in order to acquire the expertise that the Americans lead the world in. So, so these were the, the initiatives that China... And, now, we did not do this. Why because, not? Well, first, we, we didn't agree amongst ourselves, to tell you the truth, Sakina. If you look at the ANC or the PAC, these were the liberation movements recognized by the Organization of African Unit. They were in exile for 30 years, and I was part of, of that. We never agreed on what the future economy of South Africa should look like. 
the consequence, we never discussed what the, 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 the economy of South Africa. We talked about, about our grievance, about migrant labor, about exploitation. But what should the economy look like? We never discussed that because the leadership of liberation movements were afraid discussion of economic future was going to create divisions. So we never came up with... So but when not we, discussing it was equally going to lead to divisions. It was going to lead to divisions in the future. So during that time, which was the time of the liberation war, they wanted maximum unity, which on the whole, certainly the ANC achieved. But now, because they didn't address this issue then, they kicked the can down the road, and now the moment has arrived, which is why you can see this massive infighting over the economy within the ANC and within COSATU, within the Communist Party, and in the country generally. Well, are we any clearer now about that economic path that we are supposed to take for the benefit of the majority of South Africans? I don't think we are any clearer now, but at least now we're talking about it. We spent 30 years in exile not talking about it, but now we have started 23 years in government not talking about it. Yes, because we were afraid of fragmenting the ruling party. Oh, well, wow. now we couldn't postpone <laughs> <laughs> We can't postpone it anymore because, as you can see, our economy is in deep trouble and it's not absorbing labor. We have huge number of unemployment and people living in poverty. So we cannot postpone that discussion about economic change any longer. You're listening to AM Live with Sakina Kamwendo, your platform to turn issues of national interest into matters of personal importance. And thanks so much for tuning in this morning in conversation with Muletsi um, Mbeki, who is a political economist. And we're talking about what is currently happening in South Africa in the context of what happened at the dawn of democracy, who gained and who lost power at that time, and how uh, we are reaping the benefits of what happened at that time today. And I'd love to hear your views. 891 uh, Mr. Mbeki is standing by uh, to take your calls. But but uh, some of the things, you know, um, coming from someone who was intimately involved uh, with these processes, it really makes me uncomfortable at this stage to think that there was no clarity and we still have no clarity. If you take the 30 years in exile, the 23 years we're talking about right now, we're talking effectively, you know, about half a century in which we have failed to come up with any coherent plan, any coherent strategy uh, that speaks to the economic emancipation of South African people. But, but Sakina, coming up with a new economic model is very difficult. I've talked about the Chinese, but it took the Chinese Communist Party from 1949 to 1978 before they could come up with the economic solution that is now working in China. But isn't so that the value of, of, of history? And, and isn't that the value that we derive from it, that we can go and look at other places, examples and best practice that we could implement? We don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yes, we don't have to. Re- That's why we have to learn from other people. Exactly. That's why I use the example of China in, in this, because 
there's a lot for us to learn from China. How do we modernize, for example, our manufacturing industry? South Africa's manufacturing industry is old. Its equipment is old. How do we modernize? The skills of our population are very poor, and the small segment that has the skills, essentially, especially the whites and the colors and the, and the Indians, sorry, are getting old. So if you go to a South African factory, the top skilled artisans, for example, are in their 50s. So these are all the challenges that we have to, we have to deal with. So are there any success stories that we can point to since democracy? Oh, yes, there are lots of success stories. Uh, first, on the, on the, as I've indicated on the political front, South Africa really is a successful democracy. Uh, we have, for example, the Independent Electoral Commission. That is the success story we have to be very proud of. They run the elections professionally and fairly. And then what? And then the opposition controls the biggest city in this country, which is Johannesburg. If this were Zimbabwe, they, they would never have been allowed to publish the actual results. Well, and, and I guess we shouldn't take that for granted. But in the broader scheme of things, um, you know, of what benefit is it beyond the point of running a successful election uh, when we cannot deliver to the people of this country? Well, that's stage number two, is that the ones who are now elected, for example, the new mayor of Johannesburg, He's pulling his hair out, not that he has much to pull out. He's pulling his hair out looking for what, diff- how to solve the, the housing problem in, in, in Johannesburg. I know I've talked to him. He's trying to solve the housing problem. So, so they are trying, but they have to find a solution. Otherwise, the people will vote them out five years from now. Let's bring in the listeners. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, what uh, Mr. Muleti Mbeki is sharing with us this morning? Uh, 0891-104-208 is the call-in number. Uh, Mustafa in Dahl Park, good morning to you. Morning, Sakina, and also morning to your guest. Um, Sakina, I'm, I'm worried that uh, your guest he is out distorting the history of South Africa. He chose to mention industrial mineral allies. I don't know why he didn't mention straight that the Jews played a major role in the economic control of the country, far more than the Afrikaners. The Afrikaner people in this country battled a war against the Jew uh, owners of the minerals. The mines in the country were owned by the Jews. The farms in this country, even today, are owned, the majority are the Jews. For him to go out and select the Afrikaner um, uh, war generals as the owners of the land, it's a distortion of our history. He goes out to mention that the black middle class is made up of blacks who were owning land. We know the fact that our people were de- dispossessed as early as 1903. The Anglo War dispossessed the, Afrikaners, uh, the African people. And the 1913 was just a mere confirmation of what the white people have taken out of the African people. The truth of the matter is, all our efforts as African people were shattered in 1994. 
The truth of the matter is the ANC negotiated with the Afrikaner in secret places and ended up coming up with sunset clauses. The African majority in this country never gained freedom, even today. Now, our solutions are not going to be achieved by a handful of mayors who think that they've got a solution to the houses, they have a solution to the water problem. The truth of the matter is that the economic system on which the ANC government is based is wrong. Not so long ago, we were told about the Lula uh, da Silva policies. Today, we are told by the Ecuador radical economic, economic transformation. We don't have our own economic policy. We as African people in this country and in Africa as a continent, simply because the African people in this continent abandoned what was pan-Africanist policy. The pan-Africanist policy which was stated out in the early 1950s was the economic policy that was going to liberate the African people because it simply said we don't want to see African people hero-worshipping and patronizing the West and neither patronizing the East. And all African countries must subscribe to socialism because socialism is neither East nor West, and that is the solution that could lead to Africa. That is why the African countries from 1960 to the 70s stayed within the socialist policies, and that is why there was no corruption in Africa. Today, Africa is poor simply because the Western countries have forced them to be patronizers of the Western policies. It's your favorite time of the morning. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. Favorite time of the morning on AM Live. And I must tell you that it's quite interesting off air as well. But uh, taking your calls on 0891-104-208 in conversation uh, with uh, political economist Mr. Mueleti Mbeki this morning. And we're talking about what uh, the current situation in South Africa is informed by. And he says in order to understand where the country is today, we need to ask ourselves who were the winners and who were the losers um, when the country transitioned to democracy and how those who gained and lost power have dealt with that particular dynamic. So uh, taking your calls, let's just take a few more, Mr. Mbeki, uh, before I give you a chance to respond. Uh, Vuelwa in Bedford View, good morning to you. Hi, Piki. Hi. Um, you know, every time that Mbeki come on air, he really impressed me. He had turned over that, but not to exchange numbers. <laughs> yeah. Thank because you. he impresses me every time he talks sense. But I want to hear from about the state, we said South Africa was very much, the police state in the past. Don't you think it was better the way it was run? Because now under the new ANC government, really data, I mean the thugs and the foreigners, they're running the show. We are not safe in our homes, in our cars, in the streets. I mean, we cannot live like this. What that, is the point? Thanks so much, Vielwa. Uh, let's go to John in Bloemfontein. Good morning. Hi, how are you, Sakina? Good in you, John. Good things. Um, Sakina, as a young man, I'm quite concerned because every time a politician or an analyst is on your show, they choose to tell us about the history and then they don't tell us about solutions. And it's quite disturbing because we want solutions. We don't want people to come here and tell us about what happened in 1980-something. We were not there. I was not born here at that time. We would like people to come and tell us about solutions because... We are very impatient. Everything we see on the news, it's very, very worrying for us as young people. And we, don't have, we have lost hope. And we need people to help us, to give us a direction of 
how are we going to help um, solve the solutions instead of telling us about the history that they went through whenever that time was. We need solutions now, and looking at the ESCOM thing already now, it's actually very, very disturbing for, for, for young men like myself who, still, who just graduated to look at what the government is doing and to think, are these people really serious? Do they think we're that stupid? It's very, very concerning. Thank you, Sir King. Mm, but before you go, John, uh, do you not think that you can be part of finding that solution? Do you not have any well, views? We've tried. We've tried. I was part of, of a political organization at Varsity. And the thing is, when you come up with solutions, we're told we, we one, we're very impatient, and two, we, we're ill-informed, which is necessarily not entirely the truth. We either, we know that we have information in our hand, we have smartphones, we have ways to bring up information very quickly to solve situations. But every time someone, our elder, comes and, 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 and maybe gives us advice, he goes back to, to, to how they used to do things, which is, which is very, very concerning because he's, he's, he's speaking about China now. And Chinese people have invested so much in technology and new information and doing things a different way. But on the other hand, we, we get to be subjected to people telling us about history. It's not, it's not fair. Okay, that's John in Bloemfontein, um, Mpumezo in East London. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Now I'm 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 calling from Port Elizabeth. I I I want to agree with Mr. Becky that we we cannot afford to put economic change discussions in abeyance anymore. I mean, it's, it's a very very pressing issue. But the question I want to ask. Do you think that the, poly, the, the party, the ruling party, is in, a, is in a position or in a good space to deal with the issues given the state of affairs? Or shall I say the, the fragmentations that you alluded to? That, that's my question to Mr. Beck. Thanks so much, um, Pumeza. Okay, let's answer those, uh, Mr. Beck, and then we'll take a few more calls. Uh, thank you, Sakina. First, let me start with John in Bloemfontein. I think you put the question to him uh, and that is my answer to him. Why does he think somebody else has to find a solution? He is a university educated young person. He has to come up with a solution himself. Nobody is going to come up with a solution on his behalf. He has to organize his life in such a way that he is able to be productive and he is able to, to, to to contribute to the economy of, of South Africa. So the notion that somehow there is somebody sitting somewhere high up on a high horse who's going to solve his problems, to me, is mistaken. Now, but isn't that also uh, symptomatic and indicative of the fact that people feel as though they do not have a place when it comes to decision-making, that there are others who are taking decisions on their behalf and that their voice simply doesn't reach that, that upper echelon. Yeah, but John, John said that he was part of a political organization when he was a student. So he, he is, in fact, his voice is heard somewhere. But he is becoming frustrated, and I don't blame him, that, that the pace of change is slow and, and all that. But, but there are no magic solutions. You see, John wants to believe in this magic wand, that somebody will come with a magic wand. 
the guy with the magic wand is going to be a charlatan because there is no magic wand for sol- solving South Africa's uh, economic problems, which is what we are sitting with. Uh, the caller from Port Elizabeth, he, of course the ANC is fragmenting. Now, the, the fragmentation of the ANC means that the ANC can no longer provide solutions for the big challenges, which are really primarily economic challenges that South Africa is faced with, which is why all of us South Africans have to find a solution. To think that there is one party or one person who has a solution for our economic problems, it will lead us nowhere. There is no such a party. There is no such a person. We have to influence the existing parties that are not fragmenting. There's no point in in spending your energy on a fragmenting organization. But the ones that are not fragmenting, then one has to put ideas to them, the DAA, EFF, and so on, of what the solutions are. So one has to engage them. To me, that, that is a... A, a, a critical issue. The issue of crime in South Africa, crime is really a byproduct of many things. One of them is the collapse of the black family that was created by migrant labor and that was created by the, 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 the hostels and all that. And, of course, by the poverty. So that is what crime is, it's a byproduct of, that's why we have to get our economy right uh, in order to deal with, it, with, uh, with, the, with these issues. Is now, that uh, also not a simplistic answer to say we've got to get the economy right? We, we, we don't seem to be able to get this economy right by your own admission. We don't even know what to do. Well, Sakida, that's why we have to spend more and more time on your show all of us South Africans coming up with solutions or suggestions of solutions. That, that, that is my point, is that everybody must contribute and we will find a solution eventually. But, but the magic wand mentality, that I don't support. Uh, finally, the, there's a Pan-Africanist who, who, uh, who phoned uh, promoting Pan-Africanism and its policies. First, he said socialism is neither East nor West. Well, socialism was invented by a German called Karl Marx. That's West. So socialism is a Western thing. Uh, he, say, he says we must support socialism because it's neither East nor West. Well, that's not true. Secondly, uh, Pan-African policies are not supported by the voters of South Africa. At the end of the day, the caller has to accept that the vast majority of South African voters don't believe in what the Pan-Africanist movement is putting forward as a solution to our country's problems. There's also a secondary issue there where he said uh, the 94 settlement effectively shattered African dreams. Now, Sam Ditsejo also picks up on that on Twitter, and he says, ask Mwelete um, Mbeki if the outcome of the 90s uh, secret talks were meant to transfer power, and if so, 
Why was it done in secret? And Azania uh, Sakile Makalela says, um, I have so much respect for uh, the Mbekis, but the fact that they were with Nelson Mandela during those negotiations, I also blame them for where we find ourselves today. So respond to that. Well, there were, <laughs> there were no secret talks. The talks were very open. The, the Pan-Africanist caller, for example, uh, accused Mandela of secretly uh, negotiating this, uh, that clause, that, uh, what, what's it called? The sunset clause. The sunset clause. Yeah. Well, the sunset clause were not secret. At the time they were announced, Joe Slovo made a big spiel about the, the sunset clause that they that the ANC had to uh, guarantee security of jobs for the then existing uh, civil service. So there was nothing secret about, about those talks. They 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 happened, and what was gained then was what we could gain. We had the power to gain. Perhaps they were not secret, but. Can you, in all honesty and authority, say that the majority of South Africans and black South Africans in particularly, in particular were au fait with what those talks were about and, and, and what exactly was going on? Well, Sakina, the answer is the secret, the talks were in public, mm-hmm. but the main negotiator on the, on the side of, of the black people was the ANC. But the ANC didn't control the media. During those talks, SABC was controlled by the National Party. So it couldn't come to the SABC to explain So you agree why. with me that the majority of black South Africans were not on top of these issues? Well, I can agree with you there that the negotiators and the ANC tried as best it could under the circumstances. But... For example, the newspapers, newspapers were controlled by Anglo-American Corporation, which was opposed to the ANC, and they were co- controlled by the Afrikaans la- pub- language publishers, who were also opposed to the ANC. So all the media in this country virtually, other than two or three small newspapers, were controlled by opponents of the, of the ANC. So they did not give the information in a comprehensive enough way as to why, what were the negotiating positions of the ANC during those talks. In conversation with uh, Mr. Mwelezi Mbeki this morning and taking your calls on 0891-104-208. Before I get to those, let me just read a few of the messages coming through on the SMS line. Uh, Jenny in Middleburg says, Will this Mr. Mbeki please stand for president? Uh, Tlachwayo says, Sakina, if they did not discuss the economy in exile, what did they discuss at Kodesa? Uh, Pops in Kronstadt says, When whites, according to Mr. Mbeki, lost power, they never disintegrated but regrouped to gather 
lost political ground. They further canvassed support from blacks to join them under Zilla. And contrary to blacks, uh, who when political challenges face us, instead of regrouping, we tear ourselves apart, forming parties like Ahang and others to further lose power in the name of democracy and foreign terms like state capture is what I suppose would be our undoing, according to Pops in Kronstadt. Um, then Nkululego Sikolo in uh, Wellington says, Molo Tata, you are uh, the the only man that I trust. <laughs> and uh, Romano, Maragon, uh, uh, Romano Mar- Margon says, I love this man. So many truths. What a breath of fresh air. Lindiwe in the Eastern Cape. Initially, I lamented the failure of the ANC government uh, to learn from the mistakes of past failed African states. Naive me. Some of the governments have actually uh, studied the script very closely and perfected the art of shenanigans. Woe unto South Africa. And Hossi says, there's a difference between freedom and independence. And given our so-called democracy um, in which we are democratically oppressed because the majority of indigenous Africans do not own the economy, uh, we still depend on invaders for our survival. So it's not freedom. It is independence that we enjoy. But let me take a few more calls. Uh, 891 Melvin in Joburg, good morning. Sakina, thank you. Uh, so I think the missing link uh, is also, let us cast our minds back to what, we, what the Minister of Labour, Mildred Oliphant, was saying to us in the 17th uh, Annual Commission for Employment Equity report. And here we're seeing, we don't just have unemployment in our country, which is, a, which is really reaching proportions of, of you know, uh, disaster, but also underemployment. So, and this is specifically in the category of black and coloured people. So that's the first challenge. And this talks and should speak to radical economic transformation because if a lot of these people are not changing, um, you know, how, how then do we get out of the starting blocks? 23 years later, uh, we see failings in, in employment equity policies. Uh, organizations are not complying. 21 companies were fined. And they stand outside of our constitution. It's a human rights issue. So that's the first reflection. The second one is the issue around what I could call, a, you know, sticker transformation. So we put a sticker onto an organization, and we call it BEE. Uh, large organizations uh, go from level seven to level three in a space of a very short space of time, and then we find the nuts and bolts of these organizations in terms of real transformation, where employment equity matters is not there. So, you know, we need to have a deep reflection and understand that BEE and when these BEE shareholders leave those organizations, uh, they still leave the company untransformed. So I would just like Mr. Moletti and Becky to reflect on that and, uh, you know, also for the ANC to try and build a link to this in the radical economic transformation policy so that we, we really get ourselves out of the starting blocks and unstuck ourselves. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, Melvin, if you talk about radical economic transformation, there we go down, you know, being uh, stuck with rhetoric again, because even there, it is not clear exactly how we are meant to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. But then again, Mr. Mbeki will come and respond to that. Uh, Lungsumuzi, good morning to you. Hello. Hi. Yes. Uh, good morning, Fakira, and uh, your guest, Mr. Mbeki. Welcome. Uh, yes. I am in the heart of the, the Jewish land that is Cape Town. 
the point where it's almost owned 100% by the Jews, which is showing who he owns the economy in the, in the Western Cape, and I think also in the country, they've got a substantial stage, uh, which I agree with the man that, that was talking about, the, the commenting on, on Mr. Mbegi's uh, 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 saying that the, the Afrikaners are the ones who had the, the most. What I want to say again is that uh, whenever when we talk about the people who are owning the land here, yeah, we forget about the churches. Recently, I've discovered that the government is paying millions every year for a school that is is renting the place in, in, in Zanabrom, the Zanabrom school, which is showing that the... While we are saying there's no money in this country, but there's, there's, there's a lot of money that we are pouring into the people that got the land during that time of colonization, which is the, 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 the churches. And secondly, uh, I want to, to comment on his book, where he says he, the people that... The, the, he is talking of people that are architects of poverty. And in that, he, he, he lists also the, the, some members, members of the ANC, the leadership of the ANC, when they were given some millions by the Anglo-American company, mining companies, uh, the financial institutions companies, and uh, the, uh, the agric uh, companies. Now, when he's talking now of of, 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 of the media that was owned by the Anglo-Americans and the, talking about that the negotiations were open. They were said to be open, but the fact of the matter, the media, because it was owned by the Anglo-Americans and the Anglo-Americans had offered and sponsored the ANC, so they were only taking to the media what the ANC says the media was more full of ANC and the clerk because they wanted that the ANC must be a government because they knew that the ANC have bought uh, the, the, the land of the ANC to have this concession. Okay. Um, uh, let's hear from Ntlantla Etegwini. Good morning. Good morning, Sakina. First of all, it is untrue that uh, Marx inv- invented the socialism. Marx was referring to things that were already there. He was a materialist. He never dreamt and, and, and woke up and said, uh, and then I'm writing about socialism. That's why he would refer to Africa where the army grows. He would refer on Jewish question. He would refer to English economy. He would refer to, 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 to German philosophy. It is untrue. I, I contest that, that view that uh, Mr. Mpege is, is arguing about. Uh, the only thing that our government, we need to know a very, very interventionist kind of government who's going to intervene and make sure that the commandist heights of the economy are broken down and cooperatives are built so that uh, we don't rely on the argument that says uh, we gained something when we never gained anything. The issue here is about the ownership. Africans for a long time have been living in a kind of a socialist economy, even though it was a primitive kind of communalism, uh, which is uh, socialism. And the speaker that spoke about that in the corner was correct that the only way of life is that, that we invented ourselves. Marx just ed- expanded and put into context what was already existed. Thank you.
It's the moment you've all been waiting for. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo. So, uh, Mr. Mwiletse Mbeki, as you respond to uh, those questions, uh, please also factor in what some of the solutions may be. Okay, thank you, Sakina. Well, uh, I'm very interested in the, in the issue, in two particular issues, which uh, I will try and respond to. The issue of the government controlling the commanding heights. The South African government control, comma, controls the commanding heights of our economy. The commanding heights of our economy are the Reserve Bank, which is controlled by the government, uh, Transnet, which is controlled by the government, ESCOM, which is controlled by the government. The government controls the commanding heights of this country's economy. The issue is, what is it doing with its control of the commanding heights? So we have to get away from the notion that a government controlling commanding heights will give you a solution. As we're seeing in our government today in South Africa, it's messing up big time with ESCOM, with SAA, with Telcom, with, uh, with these commanding heights that, that, that it controls. So we have to give some more thought. The second issue is the issue of Jews controlling the economy of South Africa. This is not true. The Jews don't control uh, the South African economy. At the end of the day, the South African economy is controlled by the South African government. It decides economic policy. Companies don't control economic policy. I suspect that's a debate for another day, which we will come back to. Now, finally, coming to the issue of the solution. Now, we, we need a lot more conversation uh, to, about the question of, the, of solution. One of the issues that was raised by a caller uh, was the issue of black economic empowerment. Now, you have been asking me, what is my solution? Well, my first solution would be to strike down every law that mentions black economic empowerment because it is one of the main drivers of corruption in this country is black economic empowerment. What I would do is create a new type of a bank which will finance entrepreneurs, whatever their race, but it has to finance it. Not giving shares to politically connected individuals, which is what black economic empowerment does. I would support entrepreneurs who set up their businesses, who, who, who add value to the economy rather than just getting shares from the existing companies. That is my first contribution to the solution. I'll tell you what, there shall be a follow-up given the response and uh, what's coming through. We'll follow up and uh, see if we can bring Mr. Mbeki back and others as well to come in and join the conversation. But thank you once again for your time. It's a pleasure. And thanks to you for all your participation this morning. It's been fantastic. And you can go onto our website, safm.co.za, to see what everybody else had to say about it as well.